Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marks. It's kind of a little out of kilter for our Good News Friday only because, um, well, we had a holiday. Well, federal holiday. For a lot of people, it was a holiday. Uh, For some people, it wasn't so much of a holiday. But nonetheless, I hope you had a wonderful short week, you know, however that was working out for you. And today, we've got some good news stories to share that are not, you know, a lot of times when we look at good news and Good News Friday, I know there are people who tune into Good News Friday because hopefully they're going to win something. Good news is we do have a uh, special guest author joining us for a part of the program today. We'll be able to give away one of his books. So I'm very excited about that. But secondly, there are a lot of people who will look at our Good News Friday things and say, just tell me something that's going to put a smile on my face. And I will be perfectly honest with you. I would love to. I would love to do nothing more than 90 minutes consecutively of here's a story that's going to make you smile. Here's a story that's going to make you smile. Here's a story that's going to make you smile even bigger. But here's the problem when we look for only that kind of stuff. You ready? (laughs) The problem with having that mentality is that we're only looking for smiles. We're looking, we're not looking for good news. We're not even looking for joy. We're looking for things that make us happy in the moment. Now, I completely understand. If you've got, if you're alive, you're going through stuff. And if you're a Christian, you're really going through stuff right now. And, and I, and I don't say that to, to disparage. If your life is kind of cruising along, no big deal. Um, good for you. Be warm and well fed. But if you have gone through some things, at least that I were, were talking about this the other day regarding our marriage and the fact that we've been, we're now on our fifth year of marriage, we celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary on New Year's Eve. And, you know, we looked at the pandemic and the things that had hit our family or, you know, or us individually. And we thought, you know, even the stuff that's been difficult has been for our good and it's made us better, made us better individually, made us better as a couple, made us stronger as a family. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, sugarcoat it you know we go through stuff just like everybody else does the difference is and it i marvel at this brand hansen's going to join us next week to talk about a book that he's written about this very issue about the fact that uh the one difference between the christian and the unbeliever especially in terms of the life that we're living in right now is joy no other way around it is joy the biblical definition of joy, focusing on what you need to fit, to be accepted, to, to, to I mean, literally be that piece of the puzzle in God's economy and how that works for you um, and how that works for, you know, what it means to be a true apostle. You know, it's interesting that uh, when the apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, look, Uh, This is how you ought to regard us, Christians, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's a very strong phrase, must prove faithful. In other words, show me what you know. Show me what you've experienced. Show me that your life really is about what you say it's about. And Paul writes in verse three, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Do you get the sense that part of the fear and dread that a lot of people are expressing right now in the culture is coming from the idea, the knowledge, the understanding that the Lord will start exposing the darkness, will start exposing the motives of the heart. I had to take a look at a post that I, uh, uh, that I shared, gosh, four years ago, and it was a wonderfully written verse written by Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> I went, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to think about what that guy's ministry meant to so many people. And yet, how it eventually, it didn't matter what a great teacher he was because of the fact that he did not walk the talk. He was a great teacher. But when it came to his personal life, the sin was so heinous and so grievous that it just, it ultimately led to his demise. But joy one pastor, you know, described it this way, and I, I really like this, uh, Jesus, others, and you. If you keep that perspective, that's great. But think about the, the idea that we as Christians have joy. Happening, or excuse me, uh, uh, happiness is based on what's happening. And the, uh, the, uh, the, the word in the Old English is where we get that word. A hap means an event. So a happening is something that's happening, going on right now. I, can't, I don't want to use the word to describe it, the same word. But when you think about good news in the context of the world that we're living in right now, good news doesn't necessarily mean free ice cream for everybody. It doesn't necessarily mean lollipops and raindrops. It means that the good news of the gospel is, uh, is, is being lived out. And that whole idea, I mean, literally the, the, the idea that we don't necessarily see ourselves as people who are happy people, but we are receive the, the, the joy of the Lord, kara, if you will, which means joy, delight, exhilaration, rejoicing, glee, gladness. It literally is a, is a reference to the fact that we have, I mean, think about this. When we see in Luke chapter two, for example, you know, we just finished up the Christmas story. What does uh, Luke write to us in Luke chapter two, verse 10? The angel of the Lord said to them, be not afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Remember the angels were sore afraid? You know, what was the good news that will cause great joy? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger because they didn't wrap babies in mangers, in cloths <laughs> back then. Suddenly the great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace upon whom his favor rests. I can't underscore that enough. Peace will come to those upon whom God's favor rests. I seriously implore you and exhort you, brothers and sisters, if you are not experiencing the peace of Christ, you really need to 
you owe it to yourself to take some time alone with the Lord, with word, in prayer, and get your heart right. The way I read scripture, there is no possible way for a believer to not experience the peace of Christ. When we're in a worship service, you know, you see it from whether it's Tony Evans at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship or Luther Church of the Cross with 30 people in the building. When the pastor says, share the peace of Christ with the elect, with the brethren. And what do you do? I've seen some churches where the sharing of the peace or the passing of the peace can take a half an hour. But trust me, there are too many people who are tied up in knots over the things of the world, professing faith in Christ. I saw a pastor, a couple who were doing ministry over the weekend, a couple weekends ago, and they were on camera. Uh, they were doing a, uh, it was a, a, a Zoom or something like that. And I don't remember which social media page it was, but they were in prayer and they looked like they were in agony. And I'm not talking Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane agony, sweat like drops of blood. They just look worn out and tired and unfulfilled. And I thought, why? Why? You should see the smile on my face right now when I talk about the peace of Christ. It doesn't mean you're not you're going to have an absence of problems. It means you're going to have the presence of God with them. But the promise of Luke 2.14, I think, sets the whole tone for us as believers. Glory to God in the highest on earth peace to those upon whom his favor rests. If God's favor rests on you, you will experience his peace. If you're not experiencing peace, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay, backing that one up now, I, I wanna get into a story. It's a good news story about the good news of the gospel and the fact that uh, a gentleman has made headlines for doing something so selfless and so sacrificial. And this is something that really speaks to my heart because a dear friend of mine did the very same thing about a year and a half ago. You remember, or maybe you heard about the, uh, uh, the shooting in the Des Moines area, Iowa, uh, Perry Middle and High School, in Perry, Iowa, in the Des Moines area. There was a shooter, 17-year-old opened fire at Perry High School. It resulted in the death of a sixth grader who was one of the middle school students and injuries to seven others. One of the people injured in that attack was the principal of both schools, Dan Marburger. Well, he was the principal of the high school. He was known for his dedication and for his heroism. And he basically was trying to call, Dylan Butler is the young man identified as the shooter. And because Dan Marburger tried to calm this guy down, dozens of students were able to escape and not fall victim. You know what happens in school shootings. I mean, we hear this all the time. People say, school shooting, mob violence, we gotta shut, shut down all the guns. Trust me, if somebody wants to hurt somebody at a school, they'll find a way other than the gun. The gun's just the most expedient way. You get a gun, you put a bunch of, you get magazines in there, and bang, 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 you can shoot off how many hundreds of rounds before anybody can stop you. But Dan Marburger, had spent nearly three decades at the, at the school. He was 56 years of age. The Perry Community School District released a statement expressing their sorrow, of course. They said, Dan Marburger was a tremendous leader in our school district, a loving husband, father, and grandfather. Our school community is heartbroken by his death. His daughter, Claire Marburger, paid tribute to her father's love and kindness in a post on Facebook. 
She wrote, if you were lucky enough to know my dad, you know there are not enough words to say about him. He taught us. He inspired us to be better people every day. He passed many lessons and things on to his kids. Another thing dad taught us was how to love. How to love each other, how to love our parents, how to love our spouses and significant others, how to love our kids, how to love our grandkids. And here we go. It comes down to one word, selflessness. This is a guy who, um, it was a pillar of support in the community. His daughter described him as a gentle giant and an amazing man. But here's the beautiful thing about this is Mr. Marburger demonstrated that greater love hath no one than they lay down their life for their friends. This is a guy who took his care for the students of Perry High School to that extreme. And Father, we just lift up the family of Dan Marburger and, and, and pray that you would uh, uh, just comfort them during this time of loss, knowing that they'll see their husband, father, brother uh, on the other side. But thank you for his selfless commitment to educating kids, protecting their minds, hearts, and souls, even to the point of death, and doing so right up until the very end, not in a threatening way but in a way that was very loving and very calming and that he was able to at least deter the shooter, Dylan Butler, long enough to help dozens of kids to be rescued from the school and safe. May we learn from his example and may we celebrate his life. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, and all God's people said, amen. All right. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at a book, speaking of uh, teaching the youngsters in our lives, uh, that helps people. I think about this Dylan Butler guy who was trying to find his way and uh, trying to find his way eternally and spiritually. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal has written a book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories trying to find their way home. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's get into that conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get a conversation about something that is of great importance to people who are, especially what it's like to, uh, you know, make the journey <laughs> as far as our journey of faith goes. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is going to join me for a conversation about a brand new his. It's a collection of short stories. Those trying to find their way home, it's once upon a time. I have a link for the book up at The Bottom Line. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal, welcome to The Bottom Well, thank you very much for having me. Talk about what was the this exercise, you know, to, to write, the, the, to put this together, because I, I know that there are a lot of people who would look at the parable of Jesus and say, well, that's about all the story I can handle when it comes to God. <laughs> Talk about what, uh, what, what, your, what, what was the, the, the desire to put this together. Um, well, I, actually, God used stories in my life, really, uh, to first bring me to faith, and then hmm. even consist- consistently after that used other stories, uh, stories in movies, stories in dreams. I was a psychologist for over 30 years and knew a lot about dreams. Uh, stories, uh, parts from the Chronicles of Narnia, on and on and on. So I, I kind of learned it very practically, um, that stories, um, and I think I always thought very symbolically as well. I was a very Freudian as a psychologist, um, always thought, uh, kind of in symbolism and what are the deeper themes uh, in life and the things we struggle with. Um, I originally actually started writing a nonfiction project 
about how I actually grew up Jewish, came to faith later in life at the age of 45, mm. um, and kind of wrote, was writing about that. Um, still haven't really finished with that. It's probably at least two books. Um, but stories were a big, big part of that story. And then mm-hmm. I started writing short stories, uh, really enjoyed writing them, um, and ended up publishing this volume first. Um, so hopefully that explains some of it. Yeah, well, it certainly does. Dr. Samuel yeah. Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. And we book up at thebottomlineshow.com. What I found refreshing about this work, Dr. Blumenthal, and I'd love to get your take on this, is the fact that if people are spending time in you know, Bible study, and a lot of folks spend a lot of time you know, studying about God, and uh, I, I wonder how many people know about God without having have, ever having a real relationship with Him, there's something about a story, and especially a short story here, that does give us that uh, familiarity and makes it feel a little bit closer. Um, help us understand where you were going in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned this as a collection of stories that are designed to help bring people to God. Um, it, it sounds like it, I, the, the term I would use in the vernacular is seeker sensitive. Is this designed more for people who might have questions about faith as opposed to someone who wants to grow deeper in study? Or is it, do you think it, it, it's going to hit equally for both? Yeah, no, I think it actually hit equally for both. I mean, something I discovered, and I wasn't really the first person to discover it, I think, but that really in all the stories ever written, um, like all the stories ever written, there's only so many basic plots and, and basic right. themes. Only, right. I only found one person who really took this idea and made a life work out of it. His name was Christopher Booker, and he wrote a book called The Seven Basic Plots, spent over 30 years on the project. And hmm. he, he, I'm sure he grew up in the church because he was an older gentleman from England. He passed away a couple of years ago, but um, and he actually was Jungian, so like Carl Jung, and so believed in archetypes and stuff like that. But if you look at all the thing, the save, seven basic themes that he believes are in all stories, it's really all uh, all things from the Bible, all things mm. from uh, what God holds really valuable. And he said there's really one overarching theme. Uh, and all those seven basic plots, and it's essentially light versus dark, and at the end of the day, light wins. Um, mm. And so, um, yeah, what I have found is that, and this is kind of an incredible thing, but um, it's consistent with the gospel and what those of us who are Christians believe, that we're all image bearers, that God has put his imprint on all of us, that the great majority of us may never come to believe in him consciously in this life, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even so, deep deep inside, we all know the truth of right. who he is, mm-hmm. of the one real story. And to me, that's—and I think stories are one way this is expressed. I mean, I, I've seen countless movies, countless stories that the writer will give you all kinds of other reasons why he was inspired to write the story he did, something very specific, something having nothing to do with God. And then you look at the story— and you break down what the biggest symbols are and the greatest themes, and it's it's all the story of God. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we we were we were made much differently. We were made better and whole and healthy. Something happened to change us. Something really catastrophic. Um, 
God redemptively has been trying to help us ever since. Uh, and in the form of Christ, he, he took a major step in that direction, and, and the story's not over. Um, and if you look in stories, especially the redemptive part, uh, it's what you see over and over and over again. Some major character is struggling in some massive way. Um, the grace of God somehow breaks through, and by the end of the story, he's, he's not perfect, but he's definitely a kinder and gentler version of himself. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is kind of what you see, is what you see in stories over and over and over and over again. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He's written a book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of stories for those trying to find their way home. And it's a great uh, collection of stories that, as he was just describing, uh, help us to see our faith in a whole new light. Uh, you mentioned the storylines over and over and over again, and yet in the people that you've counseled over the years, I'm sure there are some who, when you bring that to their attention, might say, wow, I didn't realize I was kind of stuck in the same story for 20 years or 30 years or, you know, whatever it is. What are, what are some ways that we who aren't, you know, trained in clinical psychology can do a better job helping each other in terms of, uh, you know, I think of the, 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 the two friends who might have an argument or a disagreement, and then they come to realize, hey, wait a minute, this guy's kind of in this narrative, and I, I, I've heard this one before, you know, that type of thing. How, how can we do a better job of, of picking up the fact that, yeah, this is your story and you're walking this road, but as you mentioned, there's only just a few archetypes of stories around, and here's a way that you can see a way through it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think listen to your question, I think of two things. I, I, number one, I think we all can be more, always be more receptive. God is trying to speak to all of us all of the time. I think stories is one way that God, God does that. He uses storytellers uh, most of the time without even their knowledge to kind of speak to all of us. I, I think to help our friends, uh, too, we just need to be better listeners. I mean, Jesus taught this better than anybody. It's incredible that he had something different to say to almost every person he, right. he came across, but he could he could see directly into the depths of their heart, and so he knew exactly what they needed. He kind of needed to cut right to the point, because he didn't have too much time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's just becoming a better listener, but also being more compassionate and patient with people. I think we've all experienced this, you know, and trying to help our friends, even trying to witness to people who don't believe, you, you really just have to be patient, but um, try to get them to be, see if they can begin to believe that there could be a larger story. There, there's really mm-hmm. one story. It's God's story. And all of our stories are kind of just specific examples of that. It, it, you know, it's it, it sounds simple in a way, but it's not. Just kind of like the gospel is so simple a child. You know, you know, can grasp it, and you almost need to be a child to grasp it. But yet, God still saw fit for the Bible to be as long mm-hmm. as it is, and as dense mm-hmm. and as complex um, as well, if that makes sense. No, it certainly does. I mean, it's that, that kind of mustard seed principle that says the smallest seed <clears throat> yields the largest, uh, the largest plant, if you will. And and the idea that we can tell a story that might seem rather crazy and convoluted and all over the place, and yet at the same time, if we understand what the mechanics are, the nuts and bolts, if you will, of that uh, that story, um, then the you know, okay, well, at the core of all of this is you know, we're separated from God. We were looking for a way back. And uh, and for many of us who have found that way, uh, we can provide the conduit for 
helping other people who are lost in that struggle. Dr. Richard Blum, uh, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this conversation as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday edition of the broadcast. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest, and we've got, boy, do we have copies to give away. I love these kind of days because we're talking about his book, Once Upon a Time, which uh, gives us uh, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal, focusing on gospel truths like uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. They're all in these stories in his collection called Once Upon a Time. It's a great green leather thing with a gold leaf, you know, kind of old English script. Not one, not two, but three copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, more of my conversation with Dr. Samuel Blumenthal on short stories helping people find their way home to heaven. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash cover. That's C-O-V-E-R. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Dr. Blumenthal, I would imagine that if uh, we have a bottom line listener who uh, has a friend or maybe a family member who is an avid reader, but maybe hasn't really considered their faith in Christ, or maybe they've kind of wandered away, this is a great resource to share with them because the stories are so compelling. Uh, talk about, you, you mentioned that uh, this started out as kind of a biographical work and all of a sudden became a collection of short stories. Um, how, how has your how has your ministry in the world of clinical psychology kind of fueled your passion for writing or is it the other way around? 
Well, yeah, so I was a, a psychologist for over 30 years. I re- retired completely maybe six, seven years ago, and really because I just started writing. So, I mean, you, you can really, you know, help uh, people in a counseling practice, f- fewer people at a much deeper level. But if you have something uh, meaningful to say, and I feel God just, he just taught me so much. At some point, I just felt I just had to start writing it down and, and really believe that was why he kind of blessed me uh, like he did. Uh, um, the, the, the background story is really a story of, of my struggle. Uh, I came to Christ at 45 in the midst of a, a very difficult uh, second marriage, which ultimately didn't survive. But what God taught me about that was how my greatest uh, weakness was always it was an idol in my life, and it was actually the, the idol in my life was actually the woman in my life, which I had mm. never seen it that way, and um, and really taught me. I think ultimately our greatest struggles are, are spiritual. Uh, yeah. Said a different way, I mean, God kind of showed me that uh, what I believed I needed to have for my greatest happiness in life was this person who who affirmed me uh, most of the mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with uh, uh, having that. Uh, you know, marriage is a blessing. God gave us probably the greatest blessing in this life when it's it's good and healthy, but it was never meant to be a have-to-have. That's kind of, right. you know, Tim mm-hmm. Keller said, idols are good things made into ultimate things. And as soon mm-hmm. as you make it into an ultimate thing, mm-hmm. yeah, it becomes desperate, like an addiction. And I never right. understood I'd done that. But I did do that, uh, and we've all done that with certain things yes. in this life. Um, and so he, he kind of taught me that, and I really wanted to pass on um, that that truth uh, as much as anything. Um, and the stories, um, in some shape or form, communicate. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, Jesus said either you know you either love the Father or you love the world. It, it's one or the other, and I, and right. I think. As Christians, we kind of live with divided hearts, and so God opened our eyes, and we really do love Him as much as we possibly can in, uh, in our fallen states, but we still we struggle with loving the things of mm-hmm. this world. So it's a struggle we, as Christians, we struggle with. The stories are—Christian people will recognize the stories pretty—you know, they're not mm-hmm. uh, yeah. always—the uh, the language is not um, always— um, Christian, but but they were also written to be vague enough for anybody who may just pick it up and start reading, um, and 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 hopefully it could witness to, to people who don't believe um, mm-hmm. to start paying attention to you know to other things. Um, yeah, but is it possible? Yeah, is it possible that you know the God of the Bible is real and that He may have something meaningful to say to you? Talking with Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line about this book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, realizing that there are a lot of people now who maybe grew up in the church and they've wandered away from their faith. And they're wondering, you know, where, where am I in all of this? Because maybe there was some wounding going on, or maybe there was just some confusion, or maybe, just maybe, I mean, this is the, 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 the recipe for disaster. And I'm sure you would agree, Dr. Blumenthal, that churches who don't preach Christ crucified, don't preach the, you know, the sin and salvation message, but just preach the God's your buddy, it's an ATM, you know, get in the club, you know, that type of thing. The minute they encounter any sort of struggle, 
they don't know how to, you know, to process. And a dear friend of mine from church for many, many years is a, a high school English teacher, literature teacher. And she, she said at one point the school district she was working for was trying to get more into how-to type of books as opposed to literature. And her response was, well, how do you learn how to be human if you don't have literature? You know, if you don't have stories, if you don't have these examples, you know, that, that, that give us the framework. And like you said, they, they don't necessarily say God is this character and you are that character or whatever, but you begin to see that the, the inner workings of the story and begin to realize it's bringing you back to God. And, uh, and that, uh, especially for someone who spent 30 plus years in a field where you spend a lot of time looking at personalities, trying to figure out, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this, but I'm really doing that. You know, that, that not that you're trying to play detective or anything, but you're just trying to help people stop running from themselves and, and face the truth about what they're dealing with. Well, yeah, I would say it actually was exactly like a detective. I mean, especially as a Freudian, I mean, because people come in, they, they're in pain. That's why they come in. And, and, mm -hmm. and some people are very bright. They have some sense that, you know, my depression is connected to this or an abusive father or whatever. But, but really, for the most part, they're not that aware of what the deeper issues are. And you're trying to, number one, figure those things out. Number two, find a way to communicate that they will actually receive it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's about timing and dosing, and it's not, not that easy. And I think the gospel, yeah, is the same thing, really. I mean, look, at Jesus was doing the same thing with everybody. You know, right. um, and and what's amazing is who listened and who didn't, who was able to receive it, uh, and, and the stories. I, you know, I hope can have the same impact. Um, I mean, we we all seem to we get so distracted with the details of life and um, and and stories. The the details the details are used, but they're they're not significant. The real meaning is deeper. What, what's what's the basic message? What, what's the story really about? And you usually can put it in one sentence. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, yeah, I mean, the, the church and the gospel and our lives are really very similar. It's I, I think at any one point in time, there's really one major spiritual thing we're struggling with. And if God could speak to us, he, he could probably put it in one sentence. It's like, for right now, this is what you need to deal with, mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you if you would. And this is, you know, maybe a little more. Like, this is why it's a problem. This is what you need to let go of or surrender to me, mm -hmm. you know. And and if we just do that, you know, and three years from now, it may be something different. Uh, it probably will be. Um, and, yeah, so I, I hope the stories speak to people that way. Because uh, yeah. so many other stories, God used other stories to speak to me, I mean, to bring me to faith. To, to reveal to me my greatest struggles. Um, that, that's how I learned it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of by, you know, living it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think one of the uh, the greatest theological examples we can see of a good exegesis is once upon a time, you know, because uh, even though he did a phrase specifically in scripture uh jesus start you know would start in with these parables and that parabolic teaching spoke to people in ways that uh, uh the pharisees and the sadducees weren't able to communicate with them back in the day i'm talking with dr samuel blumenthal today here on the bottom line his brand new book is called once upon a time a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home we've got a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com dr blumenthal we've got about 60 seconds left in our time uh, together here and i would love for you to just uh kind of send us off with an exhortation a benediction if you will, as to why uh, this collection of books 
uh, stories rather in this one book uh, would be such a beneficial resource to a family or maybe for a church, maybe even for like a, I could see a Bible study where you just, you know, reading club went through this and took every story, a different story every week and really put it into practice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it could definitely be used for that. I mean, to me, the most encouraging thing to, for all of us is just really just how much God loves us and how he has not given up on us, even though it can seem that way, especially in very desperate circumstances that seem to be interminable in our lives. But I hope the stories communicate that, if if nothing else, um, that regardless of what's going on uh, and the difficulties, and some of which we're very much responsible for, uh, that God will always forgive us. He, he, he's always kind of waiting. You know, A.W. Tozer said, God waits to be wanted. Um, an incredible phrase when you think about it, which really means most of the time we're just not paying him any attention. But the moment mm-hmm. we do, he's there. Yes. Uh, he loves us just like the, you know, the father of the prodigal. Amen. Amen. Well, that is sound wisdom and a great resource, too, uh, from Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line. Again, the book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Blumenthal, great to get to know you, sir. Thank you so much for the book and for visiting with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. What a great dialogue. And oh, how we love Good News Fridays here on the Bottom Line Show, where you have a chance to win stuff. If you are intrigued by this book, Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. And maybe you, I mean, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal came to faith in Christ in midlife, and uh, he writes for people who are along the journey, you know, the journey of life a little bit further along down the road. But if you like those Once Upon a Time stories to read to your kids or your grandkids, this is the book you want. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today here on The Bottom Line Show. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we're giving away three copies of Dr. Samuel Blumenthal's book, Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at the uh, sanctity of human life from a slightly different perspective. You know, there are people in the culture who say, I just can't, you know, women's health, so important that you should have the opportunity to abort your child because that's women's health. And if you deny women access to abortion, then you're denying them health care. Well, I don't believe that's true. I don't think it's scientifically provable either. But there's another part of life that you might actually be hindering a woman's health if you don't give her access to this type of treatment, I say in air quotes. And there's a coffee company that is capitalizing on this for the sanctity of human life as opposed to the propitiation of death and destruction. What does a coffee company have to do with a pregnancy resource center, you ask? We're going to get into that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn, and I appreciate you, and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the pregnancy resource center 
that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to a preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who may be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. My thanks again to Dr. Samuel Blumenthal for joining us today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you just tuned in here at the bottom of the hour, may I say to you, good news, good news, good news. Dr. Blumenthal is the author of our Good News Friday giveaway today. It's a book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. Uh, Dr. Blumenthal wrote them, wrote these collections of stories with in, in mind the journeyer who is coming to faith in midlife, for example, as he did. He grew up in a reformed Jewish home in the South. He spent 30 years psychoanalytically orienting his psychology practice, and he has a really unique perspective on the inner workings of the mind and heart, and hence these stories are designed to not only meet you at the entertainment edification level, but also reinforce the, uh, the, the permanence of the reality of good news and not good news, and let people know that there these are stories that will encourage you if you are struggling in your faith right now so if there's an adult in your world that's dealing with this issue maybe there's a child who might be wrestling or maybe you've got kids or grandkids that are in that kind of uh, nether world if you will there's that part you know paul writes in ephesians 6 he talks about putting on the full armor of god and there's always that one season let me give you the phone number first i'll get into my little diatribe well, not one, not two, but three copies of Samuel Blumenthal's book, Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, now, um, here's the, the, the point about this. The idea that if you are in kind of in midlife, if you are in transit if you are you know searching there is a season of the christian life i believe where when a babe is you know brand new newborn in the faith just as a newborn baby craves mother's milk we crave the milk parts of the scripture as you get older and you get some teeth as it were you develop a taste for meat and you need that protein that nutrition to uh, nourish you along when god talks about the full armor of god he does so knowing that in matthew uh, is it 11, 28, 29, 30, when Jesus talks about my yoke is easy, my burden is light, come to, to all of you who are weary and I'll give you rest. He, he's doing so, helping us to understand something. It's something that Jesus did so perfectly because we would expect nothing less. He was perfect, right? is perfect. The fact that what he said to those who would follow him is my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In other words, there is a yoke in the same way that the oxen wear yoke when they are yoked together and are treading out the grain or the field or the, you know, whatever they're doing with the harvest. 
Yes, there is a yoke, but unless you are a master craftsman, it was not always easy in Jesus' day to get that thing to fit perfectly. Sometimes it would be a little too loose and kind of bop around. Sometimes it'd be too tight and the, you know, the ox would be you know, frustrated. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But what he's reminding us of is that whole thing, oh, I'm totally free, I do what I want, self-made man, this, that, and the other thing, that's not biblical. What is biblical is to say, I am wearing the yoke of Jesus upon my shoulders. I am putting that yoke around my neck. It is custom made for me. And here's the, here's the payoff. I mentioned Ephesians 6 earlier and the whole armor of God. During my years of assisting in youth ministry, there's no way I was at Jim Burns or at Doug Fields or whatever. I, I was the guy who taught Sunday school, kind of refereed at Forest Home Christian Conference Center every now and again. But I, you know, in terms of that was my, the extent of my youth ministry. But it was amazing to me to see how many young people who grew up in the church. Maybe they were baptized slash dedicated when they were young. They were always in Sunday school. Their parents were superstars on the board of directors, the elder board, the, the session, whatever your church denomination called it. But then once they hit middle school or high school, they got a little rebellious. Makes sense. It's kind of part of the job description. But not only were they a little rebellious, but sometimes they were susceptible to the flaming arrows of the enemy. And you'd ask the question, well, how did this happen? How could a kid like that actually find themselves uh, susceptible to that type of thing? Well, here's the deal. When you're younger and you grow up under the covering of your parents' faith, I believe, I don't see this in scripture specifically laid out, but there is, in the New Testament, there's that conversation about the unbelieving spouse. How many women were coming to faith in Corinth and their husbands didn't or the other way around? And what does Paul say? If you who are a believer are married to an unbeliever, then you're, you are equal, unequally yoked. But if that person who is not a believer is willing to live with you, live with them. If they divorce you because of your faith in Christ, wash your hands of it. It's a biblical divorce and you could move on. You've been abandoned by that spouse and you now you can find a believer to marry. But remember what he says about, let's say the husband becomes a Christian and the wife is still not yet or the wife becomes a Christian and the husband is not yet and they agree to live together. What Paul says is if they agree to live together, then the faith of the one will provide covering for the other. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to heaven, but it does make their life exponentially better because they're with that person. In the same way, parents, I believe, offer that cover for their children. There's a point where children are innocent, where they're newborn babes. You know, people say, you know, well, why would you put a child through a difficult labor and delivery if they've got some medical challenges and then off they go, you know, and they, they lived for a couple of weeks or whatever, and, and, and now what? You know, better baptize your babies when they're little because you, you never know. Well, I believe there is a point where a child does come of age to where they are knowledgeable. They can understand sin and salvation. They can understand heaven and hell. They can understand good and evil, and they can receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say that they can make a decision along with their third grade Sunday school class, but rather that they can profess faith in Christ. <clears throat> they could meet him in the waters of baptism and participate in Holy Communion when they're able to reason it through. I don't 
I mean, even though I'm ordained in the Lutheran Church, I don't believe the Jesus is in the water, so we put three crosses on the forehead of the child or splash their head with water, and that, that's our promise that, that we're claiming them for Christ, and by the time they're 13, they'll, we'll, we'll cash in on that. I, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. But there's a part with the armor of God where you put on the full armor, which is in the same way Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Those armor pieces are made for you. But why do so many kids who grew up in Christian homes wind up not following that way? Well, may I offer a recommendation as to why? This is just my personal assessment. You know what? Let's do it on the other side of this break. It's going to take a little while. Uh, by the way, we're still taking your calls. We've got not one, not two, but three copies of Dr. Samuel Blumenthal's book, Once Upon a Time, uh, good news and stories for those who are looking to find their way home back into the faith. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You've got about five minutes left to get in on our giveaway for Dr. Samuel Blumenthal's book called Once Upon a Time. Uh, we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book. A collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, I was talking about the armor of God before the break and why it is we see kids who wander off. This book, Once Upon a Time, would make a great uh, uh, resource for uh, those who are trying to find their way home. So you wonder why are kids kind of vulnerable and unprotected? Well, here's the deal. Your faith shield as a parent, your helmet, your breastplate of righteousness, your shoes of peace, sword of the spirit, all that stuff, those are, think of those as they're made for mom and dad, but as long as they're, the kids are at home, they can walk behind the protection of mom and dad wearing their armor of God. They can even pick up the weapon every now and again and use it, but just like David fighting Goliath, it's not gonna be the right fit for them. There comes a point when the child professes faith in Christ and gets his own armor. She gets her own shield, he gets his own sword and does the fighting that way. And if you're wondering, well, why is it that my kid was raised in a Christian home and did not come to faith in Christ? Or why is it that there are people who profess faith in Christ, but they get to their 40s and go, wait a minute, I didn't think this stuff was real, or I didn't know how much I didn't know about this. It's amazing to me when hardships come. That's when a lot of people find out, hey, you know why the hardship came here? I got wounded over here because I was not wearing my breastplate. I was not wearing the belt of truth. I was not wearing the helmet of salvation. And you know, the crazy thing about it is those things are made for us. It's not like, well, I can't wear it because it doesn't fit. Oh, contraire. Now, here's a thought. Maybe God made you the armor when you were a child. And now that you've grown, you've outgrown the childish armor, but you don't have the adult armor. Just a thought. I mean, if I were still trying to wear the clothes that I wore as a child, if I were still trying to wear the clothes I wore in college, heck, if I were still trying to wear, I won't go down that road. You get the idea, though. So let me encourage you. Dr. Samuel, Samuel Blumenthal's book, Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home, could be what you're looking for, too. Phones are open for a couple minutes longer at 800-227-5278. 
the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon and your weekend. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. By the way, if you are a KCBC listener or if you're a bottom line listener and you want to hear the live stream at 770kcbc.com, Bottom Line Show airs 3.30 to 4 every Monday through Friday right after Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, which also features yours truly. Um, then there's the Bottom Line Show Extra, which is where you're going to get the final half hour of today's 90-minute program coming up at 7 p.m. on KCBC, 7 to 7.30. And then if you're really hardcore, I know a lot of people like to listen to the Bottom Line every weekday morning on KCBC. The Bottom Line Rewind airs Monday through Friday at 10.30 a.m. And that's also where you can get a sneak peek on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast every Thursday. So that's just a programming note for our uh, friends that, who listen on KCBC. And we know you are many. And we know you listen to NCR because we had so many people at the end of the year who are pounding the uh, preborn website from KCBC zip codes. So, and thank you so much for that support. On the other side of this break, I want to do an analysis balancing clarity issue regarding something that is happening uh, for our KLDC listeners and our KLTT listeners. This is something that's happening in Denver. And it's an issue that kind of, it's, it's one of those, uh, you know, some people might say it's a no good deed goes unpunished. A church in Castle Rock, actually, Church of the Rock, has gotten into trouble with the city of Denver because Church of the Rock is trying to do a homeless uh, shelter, if you will. They're not trying to do a full-blown building per se. They're trying to give people shelter who are experiencing temporary homelessness. I think their solution is great and their plan is very well-intended. But now they're in trouble with the city and they are filing a lawsuit against the city saying, get off our back. Who's right? Is the city right to try to shut the church down for doing this? Not the whole church, just this operation. Or is the church right to go to court? Or maybe the third option is maybe the church should just be quiet and follow along with what the city says. I want to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment on this topic because I really do think it's important for us as Christians to honor the laws that are good and godly in the government, but at the same time to understand, hey, wait a minute. If there is a law and we would be going around it to try to do something we think is right, aren't we being disobedient by doing the other thing? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I guess I should say welcome back. I know a lot of people listen. We do this in three half-hour modules, by the way. It's kind of fun. It's kind of challenging. Sometimes I listen to interviews with guests that we've had on the Bottom Line Show, and they're on, like, Family Talk or something like that. And I go, oh, man, I wish I had an hour to talk to them. And, and, And sometimes we do get that comment from listeners, too, and I appreciate you doing so, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what might happen if we were able to kind of get back into this mode where we could at least do a full hours on all of our affiliates. But uh, as for now, for KCBC, that gets us the half hour edition and KLTT in Denver does as well. This is the way we are. And praise God that we're still on the air 13 years into this. Uh, we do segments here on the Bottom Line Show. Uh, our flagship affiliate, KBRT, uh, we believe, you know, it's K Bright Radio, but we believe that KBRT stands for Biblical Right and True. And along those lines, the Bottom Line Show uh, has a a couple of uh, acrostics of our own, (laughs) not to be outdone. We do segments here on the Bottom Line Show called ABC segments or analysis, balance, and clarity. 
And the end game of the ABC segment is DEF, which is discernment, uh, edification, and fruitfulness. Because if you walk through any issue that we're dealing with in this life right now, analysis means that you simply get as much good information as you possibly can. Balance, which is, I think, essential in today's day and age, is that you get it from different sources. Trust me, if you looked at my search history, sometimes I'll Google something or Yahoo something or, you know, search something somewhere. And you should see that I'll have to go through five or six pages of results before I, you know, that are all left-leaning and progressive. I mean, the search engines actually do skew that way. I mean, that's the way they're set up. We like to think of them as being altruistic and pure, but the reality is you can pay for position to uh, get anything. As a matter of fact, every time I Google the bottom line show with Roger Marsh or the bottom line with Roger Marsh, I'm thrilled that half, if not three-fourths of the entries that you find on Google, for example, are for our program. And the reason I bring that up is because we don't pay anybody. I mean, we don't, we've not, we've spent dime none on search engine optimization or anything like that. It's me and Tamara and Crystal and Joel. We just, we do the best we can. And, uh, and I'm grateful that, you know, out of 25 million results, the top 10 of them are for us. It's really kind of, it's kind of cool. But when you think about, you know, where we are here in the culture today, the analysis, then the balance, getting it from all different sides, and then clarity. We just want to see what the issue really is. Um, I was, uh, my daughter Kaylee and her husband Kevin are expecting a child. Lisa and I are going to be grandparents again. Uh, Emily and Brian are expecting in March. Kaylee and Kevin are expecting in April. So that means our, uh, the amount of money that we donate to preborn just went up by 50% because we don't, we donate one ultrasound visit, $28 per month per grandchild. That's how we come up with our uh, dollar amount. So we currently uh, sponsor four visits every month. That's going up to six by the time Easter rolls around. And by the way, if you'd like to do the same thing, 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229-BABY. Or go to kbrightradio.com. Click on the banner for preborn. I've also got that up at rogermarsh.com. It's a great, easy way to provide life for a child. Um, a woman who's facing a pregnancy that she did not anticipate. We used to call these crisis pregnancies, but now we know that 97% of abortions are elective. So it's not exactly a crisis, it's an inconvenience. And I mean, that's just the reality. And because that is, in fact, the case, then more women are seeking abortions and when they go to abortion clinics the only recommendation they're getting is do you want to abort your kid today or tomorrow we'll take an ultrasound for the abortionist but we're not going to show you uh, what the uh, that ultrasound is and heck you know what if you're going to shut us down on surgical abortions we're just going to abortion pills because that game is rigged too by the cdc and the nih pregnancy is actually classified according to the center for disease control and prevention pregnancy is classified as an illness and the abortion pill is considered the treatment. It's mind-boggling. But once you understand that, then you get the clarity. Then you can have the discernment to look at the events of the world through the lens of Scripture. And not just because we talked about it here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm grateful when people say, hey, thanks for sharing that story. That really helped me understand. But I, the last thing I want is for people to say, hey, everything Roger says is perfect, you know. I'm not feet of clay just like everybody else. We're just, we're, this is my race. I'm in my lane. And if I can help you, great. I mean, I really do hope so. It helps me, you know, when people push back sometimes and say, hey, what about this? I'm like, oh, gee, I hadn't thought about that. But then from that discernment, the analysis, balance, and clarity leads to discernment, which leads to edification. We are now made edified, not just informed. 
And from that edification, we become more fruitful for the kingdom and in the kingdom. So toward that end, I submit to you this next exhibit here on Good News Friday, and it's good news. Um, I think because there's a church in Denver where, of course, we all know everybody who lives in Bipolarado and listens to the Bottom Line Show knows that the weather's crazy and we have uh, and we are in that situation where, you know, there's some people who have fallen on some hard times and they might be experiencing homelessness. And if that is, in fact, the case, then we have to get creative because, you know, when it's what was the high the other day in Denver? I mean, when the temperatures are in the negative three to 10 to 20 range and wind chill factor makes it even worse, there's a simple hard reality that uh, you have a difficult time surviving those elements. And this is one of those things where, what is it, James chapter two, you know, the, the rich man comes into the worship service and the poor man comes in and, and uh, James says, hey, if you show favoritism, to the guy who's rich and you tell the other guy who's kind of homeless, sit over in the corner or get behind my feet over here, you're showing partiality and that's not biblical. The love of Christ extends to all people. The gift of grace to all people. The gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is available to all people. Now that doesn't mean everybody gets it, right? I mean, it's kind of like saying um, any water that hits the soil where a seed has been planted, is going to automatically cause a crop. We just go around, spray. If, if, if baptism were the key to heaven, we just spray people and baptize them, whether they wanted to be or not, and say, I'm claiming you as a Christian. That's, it's not that way. There has to be some intentionality. But one of the ways we can show the love of Christ to people what does Jesus say? I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked covered me up. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was sick. You tended to me. I was in prison. You visited me. I was, I, I didn't have a place to be. and You brought me in. Church of the Rock, which is a non-denominational congregation, they refer to themselves as the Rock Church, but Church of the Rock is the name of the organization. Uh, they've gotten into it with uh, the town of Castle Rock because there's a homeless situation there. The church wants to do something to try to alleviate the homelessness, and the town said, nope, can't do it. Here's the problem. The problem is the, uh, the town on the whole and the zoning manager in particular have told the church, you've got to stop using your congregational property as a homeless shelter. From... 2019 to 2023 there's been an issue where the church <laughs> this is the crazy thing about it it's not there are some churches we talked about the one church in san diego that built those little mini housing units those kind of uh uh adus i guess they call them they're like 80 square feet they're ba basically it's like a bedroom that has a sink and a toilet and a shower and a patio in the front a little porch and it's transitional housing for people who are homeless. They can live there for like up to six months, job training, you know, that type of thing. Um, help them get where they need to get on the way to the next step. Some churches are doing that. That ch one church in San Diego did so on property the church already owned that was literally just like overflow parking. It took them years to get the permits, I think, to build six of these dwellings. So these, this is not gonna end homelessness overnight. But when you find out what Church of the Rock was doing, 
and why the town of Castle Rock was angry with them, you may take a step back and ask the question, um, why is everybody so upset? Let's take a look at this on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that are based even higher amounts for funds over 250,000. Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. This is an analysis, balance, and clarity segment about Church of the Rock, the Rock Church, if you will, in Castle Rock, and how the town of Castle Rock has taken issue with the church. And you're probably wondering, well, Roger, why are you considering this to be a Good News Friday story? I'm not really big on churches going to court, number one. I'm also not really big on churches that will kind of thumb their nose at local government saying, well, we don't care what the government says. This is what we want to do. In my days of pastoral ministry at Lutheran Church of the Cross, we used to get into it all the time with the city of Laguna Woods on really big, horrible things like signs on our own property. You know, or the city of Aliso Viejo, Lutheran Church of the Cross. We wanted to put a cross in our parking lot in a planter right by the main sanctuary building. And the city's like, now, wait a minute. We have, no one could find, as a matter of fact, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, we're no longer holding services on that campus because people had such a hard time finding the campus if they were looking for Sunday service. And yet they had to kind of jerry-rig and maneuver around some things with the city because the city said, well, the cross is too almost visible from your little side street off another side street off the main drag. So I understand. Councils can get, or city councils, town councils can get a little bit hyperanal when it comes especially to churches. At the same time, though, churches can sometimes go rogue. Well, we've got a homeless problem, and we're just opening up our social hall and our sanctuary, and the city can pound sand. What was that? Was Malibu or Manhattan Beach, something like that? There was a church that basically just set up a soup kitchen in their social hall. And the city said, hi, you can't do that because there's health restrictions, you're serving food, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, we'll use food trucks. No, wait, again, same problem. Well, it's our property. Why can't we do it? Well, because here's the thing. There are zoning laws. And there are city ordinances and be a better neighbor. Take a look around and say, well, what would happen if I'm just hypothetically, you're in a residential neighborhood and there's some like Elks Lodge next to you or what? I don't know if they even do those anymore. Big building, big parking lot. And they decide to turn into a homeless shelter and homeless people start wandering through your neighborhood. Not suggesting the NIMBY, not in my backyard type of mentality, but saying, look, there's a way to do this. And I commend the Rock Church for saying we want to do it the right way. So the good news is they have in fact filed suit, but when you find out why, I think this is a good suit to follow and uh, it's a 
course of action we can all get into as well. Church on the Rock has been accused by the town of Castle Rock of having an illegal homeless shelter on their church property. The church then turned around and said, wait, the town council and the zoning manager are stopping us from trying to give shelter to people experiencing homelessness. The complaint, and this is a quote from Denver 7 News. From at least 2019 through November 2023, these campers, people have been camping out at the church, have been used on an occasional basis to provide overnight shelter for temporarily shelter challenged people participating in the Rock's Compassionate Care Program. So there are people who come and camp out at the church and they're camping out in campers, recreational vehicles, if you will. Maybe the church owns them. Maybe families uh, who are part of the church that say, yeah, I got one of those. We're not going anywhere right now. It's too cold. Let's go ahead and set it up in our own parking lot and let them spend the night. You know, who else does that, right? Walmart. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of been a staple of shopping at Walmart for years. You're going camping somewhere and you need a place to stay and Walmart used to have the policy. I don't know if they still do. You park your RV in our parking lot. You can come in and use our restroom facilities if you want to. They'll probably have a better one inside your RV. And oh, by the way, if you need provisions for the trip, come shop at Walmart. We've got a fast food restaurant in here too if you want to get a different kind of meal. And I know people who spent their childhoods growing up doing the RV thing, going Walmart to Walmart or Stuckies to Stuckies or whatever. The church apparently is doing the same thing. They're saying, look, if these are campers, RVs, trailers, whatever, who are member, who own, belong to members of our congregation, and we tell them it's okay to park them here in the parking lot, and we want to supervise a homeless outreach of people living there so they could live in the campers and then come in and use our restrooms and we'll make them a hot meal or whatever, what's the problem here? Where, where's the ordinance? Where are the permits? What do we want to do? As it stands right now, the only issue is they're putting these recreational vehicles in the parking lot and the town of Castle Rock says you can't do that. The church says we do have the right to provide temporary shelter. The town of Castle Rock says they do not. Last November, Castle Rock officials posted an explainer on the town's website noting that the church must, quote, amend its developmental plan to allow for additional uses. The church submitted a pre-application meeting request to discuss a proposal for, quote, a new community worship center with related services, housing options that include guest suites for short-term stays, assisted living, attainable housing for seniors, disabled and or workforce housing, family wellness center and workspace, and community services, food storage, gardens, maintenance, recreation, and parking. The church has submitted that application for a meeting to request those things, but the town says they, they didn't go through with it. Quoting their statement here, the church's current zoning does not allow housing. If the church wants to pursue changes to its zoning, it needs to submit a formal application to the town. Before submitting an application, they would have to hold a public neighborhood meeting. At least three neighborhood public meetings would be required as part of the process. Properties within 500 feet of the church's land would receive mailed notices from the church along with additional notice requirements. The local officials then say if they receive such an application, the review process would take six to nine months longer. Staff would have to evaluate the, if the proposal complies with the town's comprehensive master plan and if it's compatible with adjoining properties along with reviewing it for other associated issues. Ultimately, the proposal would go to a public hearing at the planning commission would provide a recommendation to the town council. That's the process that the town wants the church to go through. 
But the church is saying, wait a minute. We are saying under the Federal Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, we don't have to go through all that stuff. We do want to build short-term housing eventually on our property for the less fortunate. They have, in fact, filed an application to allow the project. But in their filing, they say, look, the town of Castle Rock does not have the right to tell the Rock Church which vehicles can be parked at its private lot or how long they can be parked there or whether someone could sit, stand, eat, or sleep in such a vehicle. Now, the big question that I would have is, okay, so now you're getting it, you're kind of quibbling, and this may not look great for the church. The town is saying, you've already put in an application for this massive compound that's going to have uh, short-term housing, guest housing, a wellness center, a variety of other things, a really big old community center. That would be a great benefit to the community. That's going to require all of this red tape all of these applications to be filed, three different meetings, any business within 500 feet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would imagine that the church would not argue that point for a structure that massive. But what the church is saying is, hey, look, based on this federal religious land use and institutionalized persons act, we want to provide temporary, keyword, shelter for people who are experiencing homelessness. Let me boil this down to brass tacks. We're not trying to build a big old thing right now and include a homeless shelter in there. What we're saying is if members of our church council or members of our congregation have RVs or trailers where people, they're, they're habitable, where people can come and sleep through the night, get out of the elements, have some heat, have a little food, even if they have to stay self-contained in the trailer, they don't even come out of the trailer or the RV, they are there. So they're not milling about the neighborhoods. They're not, God forbid, anybody sees somebody experiencing homelessness walking through our million-dollar homes, or not through the homes, but through the neighborhoods. Yeah, that would be a problem if someone was walking through their actual homes. So what's the big deal? The church says, look, we just want to park a few RVs here during bad weather times and let some people sleep in them. We'll, we'll stock them with food. We'll take care of the propane, whatever else they need. They're not going to hurt anybody. The town of Castle Rock is saying, yes, we actually need to do this. Well, I guess the question then would be, quite frankly, how big's the parking lot? How many people are you serving? So therefore, how many vehicles are involved here? Because I can understand if I'm a resident and I live 500 feet from the church and you are wall to wall with RVs and converted school buses and travel trailers and things of that nature. And there are people out there whooping it up and, hey, look at us over here. And, you know, they kind of form a little tent city, if you will, because they're, you know, staying out of the cold. Well, hopefully, I mean, like the current Denver area weather at Castle Rock, you wouldn't necessarily want to be out in the cold anyway, but. How many of these vehicles are involved? How many campers, how many RVs have we seen? And why is this such an eyesore problem for the town of Castle Rock? When you hear how many vehicles are actually being put to service to help this out, it will definitely change your mind as to whether or not this is a good idea or not. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
I can't say enough about preborn, and I'm going to keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say, either you're gonna be a parent that's gonna be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion. The third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one-time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and the Rock Church in Castle Rock is doing a great service, I believe, for helping people experiencing homelessness during the tough weather. The town of Castle Rock does not agree with yours truly. Uh, they're saying that, hey, look, you put in an application. It's a pretty good-sized campus. We'll put the picture up at the show.com. Pretty good-sized campus. Looks like they've got several buildings that can handle. They've got a big old turnaround driveway in the, in the entry area. It looks like they can handle this new project that they're talking about, which would be a community wellness center and uh, short-term housing. And even like, you know, if they have guests coming in, like missionaries or whatever, they could live on campus. I think it's a really great battle plan that they have. But right now, the town of Castle Rock is saying, no, you have to go through all that rigmarole just so you could park some RVs and trailers on your campus to help people experiencing homelessness during the winter months. I'm looking at this picture here and there's a huge mass of land behind the church that's completely undeveloped. There's some neighborhoods that appears to be off the side, but it looks like the church, when they do eventually build, wants to build back. I can't see where the parking lot is, but I can understand if you were running 30, 40, 50 RVs, couple, you know, dozen or so more trailers and things like that. If you were camping out a couple hundred people there, this would be huge. It would be a big eyesore. And I could see why the neighbors would have every right, where the town council would say, look, this isn't just a one and done type of thing. You need to have their approval because of the number of people here. But check this out. This is a quote from the complaint from the church to, uh, well, Denver 7 News ran the quote. This is something they filed with the town of Castle Rock. From at least 2019 through November 2023, these campers have been used on an occasional basis to provide overnight shelter for certain temporarily shelter-challenged people participating in the Rock's compassionate care programs. So they aren't just strangers to the church. These are people who are connected with and dialed in. Okay, that's a good sign, number one. Number two, According to the complaint, the church is in fact allowing RVs to camp on the property as temporary shelter. But they're doing so in twos. As of November 2021, when the original motion was filed, there were exactly two campers on the property. Two. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I can't find too many church parking lots where there aren't at least three or four cars, trucks, or whatever just parked there randomly, right? Somebody donates a vehicle to the church. They don't know what to do with it. They leave it on the campus. Uh, somebody is working for a while. I, it happened at our church. There was a guy who was moving, actually. He had took a temporary job assignment, was out of the country for a year, and our pastor let him park his car in the back of our parking lot for a year. Um, I, I, methinks the town of Castle Rock might be protesting just a little too much. But I want to commend the good news story here for the Rock Church in Castle Rock for looking at the situation, saying, look, we get weird, crazy weather, especially in the winter. There are people who experience homelessness, and we have a compassionate care program to help people in that situation. And the really basic solution is who's got an RV? Maybe the church is going to buy some. Maybe the church owns some. My hunch is that these RVs are owned by church members who say, hey, look, we're not going anywhere with our camper in January. Let's park it at the church and use it as part of this homeless outreach. Brothers and sisters, all I can say is this. If we get too caught up in the theoretical and spending too many times bogged down in court with stuff, it's going to be a nuisance. But there's nowhere in Scripture where, I mean, if you look at the Apostle Paul who made his appeal so many times, what, as a Roman citizen? Hey, don't just blow me off because you want to get me out of town. Give me a chance to exercise my rights as a citizen. He does so lovingly in Jesus' name, graciously so that the gospel might be proclaimed and i sense that the rock church in castle rock is proclaiming the gospel to the town of castle rock and the whole denver metro simply by saying look it's snowing it's freezing there are people who are experiencing homelessness we have a solution we're not asking you to bring everybody here you're tired and cold and huddled masses we're just saying for the program that we run here we would like permission on the property that the church owns to let these RVs and campers park here. It's a good practical solution. It's one that keeps an eye on eternity, but also looks at the immediate need. It shares the good news of Christ, so when people see what the church is doing, they won't give praise to the church, but they'll glorify God who guides their steps. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.